What would it be like to meet the kindest guy in the world? On today's episode of the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with Najahi Events, I get to do exactly that. Leon Logothetis, who is officially known as the kindest man in the world because of his hit TV show on Netflix called The Kindness Diaries. This is going to be special because this is a man who speaks from the heart and has done so many wonderful things for so many people. I can't even tell you where to start. Look, let's just cue the music and get into this because he's a special guy. Well, first of all, on the Spencer Lodge podcast, for the first time, I am so, so incredibly excited to invite what I think is probably the kindest guy in the world, Leon <laughs> Ligothetis. And I bet everyone, I bet everyone has a trouble saying your surname, don't they? They do. It's Logothetis. Logothetis. Gosh, it's, so obviously there's Greek heritage in there. Absolutely. And so from, from London, so tell us a bit about your story, because I've been telling people for the last few days since I knew you were coming on the show, I've been telling them to go watch the, the show, go, go and see it on Netflix. You're, you're a guy that, to be honest with you, there's some similarities because I come from a financial services background myself well as well. And, you, and, and, and I, there was some element of me that felt unfulfilled for a while too. And so when I heard that part of your story um, and then you going on to do what you do, there's, there's a little bit, little bit, if I'm honest, a little bit of a green eyed monster in me sitting, sitting watching what you've done, but also enormously proud of the fact that you did it. So how did this genuinely, how did it honestly come about? Were you just really disillusioned at work one day? I mean, look, you know, I, 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 I was a broker um, and on the outside, I pretty much had everything you could ever want. On the inside, I pretty much had nothing you would ever want, um, yet no one knew because I was doing what most of us do, which is I wore a mask and the mask said I'm fine, but I wasn't. Um, I was very depressed. Uh, I felt like I had no sense of purpose, no direction. I felt like I was living somebody else's life. Um, and it was like a spiral downwards, to be honest. Um, and then one day I stumbled across the movie The Motorcycle Diaries which is a romanticized version of Che Guevara traveling around South America, relying on kindness. And there was something that, that struck me in that moment as I was watching this movie. I was like, wow, there's, a, there's another way to live. There's, uh, there's another way to be. I don't just have to sit behind this desk anymore. I can go out into the world and connect. And it touched my heart in such a beautiful way. Um, and really that was the tipping point. After watching that movie, I decided that I was gonna quit my job and I was going to start traveling around the world relying on kindness. Now, it, it had been coming. Do you see what I'm saying? The movie was like the final act in the old story of sitting behind that desk. That's kind of how it began. You, you, you was, how long were you a stockbroker for? Uh, five years. And what did you do before that? I was in college. I was a university. And studying what? Business. But I mean, I was studying business, but I was so bored. I kept on like taking social science classes instead of business classes. <laughs> and, and were you studying business because you had parents that wanted you to kind of like do some sensible things in terms of your education? 
Yeah, basically. I mean, I remember talking to them about it and they're like, we never told you to do this. If you didn't want to do it, don't do it. But, you know, as a kid, you kind of they kind of put it into you in some way. They may not say it, but every your whole life is geared towards that. So you feel like you have to do it. And so you leave university, you get your degree in business studies or whatever it is that you're doing, and then you go apply for jobs. And those jobs that you applied for, was it automatic that you were just going to go in to learn to be a stockbroker? Well, primarily I was a broker. I did some stockbroking. It was more in shipping. I was a oh, shipping, shipping broker. broker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although I did do some stockbroking. Uh, it was a family business. So it was kind of, you know, even more kind of pressure to, to join the firm, let's say, you know. <laughs> uh, so there were no real job interviews. It was like, look, you're my son. Here you go. So that kind of like that Greek family thing was okay. I get it now. That's exactly, that's all exactly. coming together. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah, did yeah. that. You disillusioned. And how 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 long were you doing that for as a broker before you sat down with your dad and you were like, Dad, I'm just, I'm, this this doesn't make me happy. And you were kept being persuaded by dad to kind of like stay and keep pushing through. Yeah, I mean, look, I knew even before I walked into the office on that first day that this was not for me. I knew it, but. I didn't have the courage, I didn't have the strength to turn around to them and say, look, I, I don't want to do this. I, I just, I can't do this. And I, I, I didn't know what to do, so I just did it. And uh, it took years before I found the strength. And really, it was pain that made me find my strength. Because the pain, emotional pain, was so great that it kind of forced me to change course. You talk about being bullied when you were younger. Yeah. And that childhood you had, you know, and I've seen, I've watched every single episode three or four times now, and, and it's something that, that came up a few times. I, I was bullied quite badly when I was younger. And uh, whilst I didn't go into the family business, when, when I went to work, I, I had, and I, but you know what? I probably still to this day, even though I'm almost 50, I still have a part of me that wants to prove something to those bullies. And it always kind of like inspired me to work hard just to show them that they kind of like, they didn't get one over on me. Did you ever go through any emotions like that? Absolutely. I mean, uh, to be honest, a lot of, some of what I've done has been fueled by that. Whether it was bullying by kids at school, whether it was feeling inadequate as a, in, in my family, uh, whatever it was has really pushed me to do what I've done to a certain degree. But for me personally, that doesn't work anymore. It's like I don't need to prove myself to anyone. Um, although it definitely did push me and push me and push me to get to, the, to where I was. Mm, interesting, now there's so many similarities in this. Okay, so you then, you then give up something because you, 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 you don't feel it anymore. You go and do some traveling and where did the idea of, of relying on kindness come from? Was this, was this something that, 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 because this on your show seems like it's something very deep within you. It's part of, part of when you say your heart, I, I think it's deeper than that. It's kind of like something to do with your soul, your DNA. This is something that's so incredibly valuable to you that, that you can't, it's almost like you can't escape it. It's that the most important thing. Would that be right? Yeah. It is. As you were saying that I got goosebumps because basically I had a teacher when I was a kid who 
every day she would look at me in the eyes and she would say, I believe in you. And I, I, I didn't know what she was doing, but what she was doing was being kind to me. And I had had so many experiences of feeling, again, remember on the outside, I had everything, right? So when you have everything and you grow up in an, in an affluent environment, people don't really look at your emotions. They're like, well, you know, you've got everything. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I felt profoundly alone and I felt a, a lot of unkindness from adults and kids. And this one adult was being kind to me and she made me feel like I had value. And I never forgot that. So I had the bat, I had the unkindness and I had the kindness. Uh, and if you take away the kindness you, and you only have unkindness, there's no, there's no path forward because this is all you know. So she gave me that and she was a witness to my pain. Um, and from that moment on, without fully understanding it, uh, I realized how important it was to see another human being because I had felt unseen and now I felt seen. So yes, it is definitely part of my DNA. Um, and there's a famous book by uh, Alice Miller called The Drama of a Gifted Child. And she's written a, quite a few books and she talks about how important it is to witness another human being, because when you do, they get to see themselves. Interesting, gosh, and you got me really thinking here. So let's let's move forward and let's understand a little bit about this this career you've got yourself into. Get, getting yourself a TV show on Netflix is no mean feat, and it, it can't have come from from uh, uh, j just an idea and one person walking down the street. You must have had to work hard to get some people to be convinced to buy into that type of story and want to support you on this journey. T tell me a bit about that. So. You know, the first thing that I did um, about 15 years ago now was I quit my job and I decided I was going to walk from Times Square to the Hollywood sign, basically with no money, relying on the kindness of strangers. Now, I had a friend who was in the TV world and I said, do you want to come along, bring a cameraman? Let's do it. He's like, all right. So we got a cameraman. He came along. We did this show and uh, then no one wanted it. Yeah, which is fine. That's part of life. Uh, and then one day, by some fluke, or whatever you want to call it, National Geographic International wanted to buy the show. And I was like, wow, all right, let's do it. So we sold them the show. We ended up doing a couple of, a couple of seasons of this one show called Amazing Adventures of a Nobody. And I then <laughs> thought, yeah, and I then thought to myself, okay, great, we're going to go to LA, I'm going to become a legend, I've got a show. But, you know, I went to LA, no, no one cared. I had one show, so what? It, hardly anyone watched it. Um, and I ended up uh, setting up a production company, yeah? So I set up a production company, and for seven to eight, about seven years, I was kind of creating television shows, blah, 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 doing a few things on the side. I, I did a, I, I drove a vintage London taxi from London, from uh, New York to Times Square, giving free cab rides. And then in 2013, um, I came up with the idea for the Kindness Diaries. Uh, so I went and I filmed it, uh, and then no one wanted it, right? It was like, we don't want this show. It's about kindness. It's kindness doesn't sell. I was like, fine, whatever. And then one day uh, in 2016, uh, Netflix came on and they said, look, we want to buy the show off you. I was like, all right. 
So Netflix bought the show. That was season one, which is going around the world on a yellow motorbike. Um, and then, you know, they commissioned a second show, which was the Kindest Diary season two, Alaska to Argentina. I mean, that's the short version of it. So it's, it didn't just happen overnight. It took a long time. Um, but I just how, kept been, on, how long before you doing the, making, making the content between walking from New York to L.A. And, and, and producing that? How long before National Geographic said we want to buy it? Was it a couple of years or what? Um, it was about a year. It was about a year, approximately about a year, maybe a little bit when more. You set, when you set up the TV production company, did you set it up because you were passionate about wanting to make TV programs? Um, I set it up because I thought that I was going to go to LA and I was going to get an agent and a manager and, you know, Tom Cruise was going to call me and say, come, you know, come spend, come have some dinner with me. No, uh, I set it up because I wanted to create, you know, some, some cool stuff. I wanted to create travel stuff and my my passion of being a host wasn't happening. So I, I thought, okay, well, let's do this instead and see what happens. And it enabled me to create my own content. So it worked out in the end. And when you look at these, look, most people that either get into TV production or, or are working presenting roles are genuine, generally presenting stuff that, that isn't aligned with their, you know, their core values. A lot of it is, you know, that they need to be paid to, for the gigs they're working on. And so a lot of people in the early days take whatever they can get, whether that's working on shopping channels or whatever it is as they kind of move up the ladder. You, you have been able to produce something that is, is truly at the core of who you are. And there's not many people I don't believe on this planet that are, are, are that fortunate. Do you, do you consider yourself extremely fortunate to be able to do that? Look, the ability to be able to go out and do what you want to do and love doing and to be able to touch other people's lives is a, is a, is a beautiful thing. So absolutely, you know, we're working on new things every day that, that hopefully will inspire people in the same way the Kindness Diaries inspired people. One of the things that I want for people to get from the Kindness Diaries is, remember I told you about that teacher? She, mm -hmm. she was a mirror. She was a mirror. Yeah, she mirrored my, my, my beauty. And the Kindness Diaries, I want to do the same thing. When you watch the Kindness Diaries, I want you to feel your own magnificence and the magnificence of your own humanity. And it's not like a preach. I'm not preaching to you, but it, it, you watch an adventure show. But behind the scenes, your heart is being is being touched. Do, do you see what I'm saying? So you're looking at your own best self through the lives of others and my adventure. I think you see a lot when when you go on your adventure. I think you see a lot of of. of looking at how other people live their life. And I think it's like, like with the coronavirus thing, I think we take a lot for granted and now we're all stopping a minute and just saying, hold on a minute, maybe we are taking too much for granted. And I think that your show highlights that, you know, when you spend time with the girl, I forget her name from Costa Rica, um, and you helped her with a charity, when you, when you, there was Tony as well, when you helped the, uh, the, the guy out, oh, the lady out, oh man, what was her name? The, the, the lady from the school, was it in Peru or Ecuador? Uh, Dushka in Peru. Because I lived in South America, so I've been to Peru. Okay. So I, I, as soon as I saw you there, when, when I look at those people and the journey they've been on, two things really stick out for me. Number one, I remind myself how, how lucky I am to be where I am. And, and that's something that's very cool. But the other thing that sticks out for me is the fact that I'm measuring the wrong things. And 
when you talk about how rich people are and how rich they are with what they have to give with their heart and emotionally, that that hits me, like really hits me hard. Because when you do the kind of things that you did in Shipbroken in the early days, there's a lot of drive around creating revenue, making money. And over the years, we kind of like as young people, we pursue wealth as a, as a, a yardstick for, for our success and for our uh, perception of security. And it makes me really, really think about how important wealth is in every other term apart from money. And, and, and you've, you, you do that, you, you, you share that. And I, and I look at you and I watch you present and I don't think you're a natural presenter. I think you're a real natural human being, but I don't think you just, you know, you, 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 just, just, you come across to me like as real and as authentic as is possible to be in a human being. I watch you ask people to, you know, can I, can I have a room for the night? Can I, you know, can I say, and I know, I, I used to be the guy that walked on green lanes in London, knocking on doors, trying to sell office equipment and fax machines and getting rejected constantly. So I know that even though it's not all on camera, there's probably many more people you asked if you could have a room for the night that said, uh, I'm really sorry, yeah, that we can't help you out because they felt uncomfortable. And then it's not that they said, sorry, they, they can't help you. It's that moment where they're looking into your eyes and you're looking into theirs and they say no, and they feel really bad for saying no. And you're like, ah, oh, man, that's a bit tough. I've got to go find somebody else to ask for. The, the, does that make sense to you? A hundred percent. I mean, most people do say no. And, and you're right, I'm not presenting. When, when I'm asked to present, I fail. Uh, the, uh, the only way this show works is if I'm just myself to the best of my ability, because when I have to have to like turn it on and be a presenter, it's like it's not real. You lose connection to the flow and the magic. There's, there's a, there's a uh, company here called Motivate Media Publishing, which is a big organization here, and they contacted me recently and they said, look, we'd like to take your content that you produce on social media, the videos you make, we'd like to put them um, into, into our, our website. And it's a, the various magazines they have and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, okay, but do you want me to create content for you? They're like, yeah. I'm, like, I'm not going to create content that you want me to create. I have to create content that's authentic to me. I can't, I can't be somebody you want me to be. I can't, I can't present something the way you want me to. I have to say it as I see it. And I think that, that, that is exactly what you're doing. You know, I felt for you in Alaska with no heating in that Volkswagen Beetle. Because <laughs> I've had a Volkswagen Beetle and, and I know they're not the most comfortable cars. And I know that the way that the pedals sit, okay, that you have to keep your foot in an unusual position to keep the pedal down. So when your feet were going numb, I was living that moment with you. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like really, like really poignant for me. Um, do you have, of all of the trips that you've done and the travel and the journeys you've been on, do you have things that really stick out for you? Or are they just, they're just so many that they all, they, they're all just very special? No, there are definitely moments that stick out. Like, for example, Tony, the homeless chap in Pittsburgh. So as, as you know, but I'll share it for your viewers. I ended up in Pittsburgh trying to find someone to stay. And I go up to this chap after being rejected many, many times. And I say, hey, can I stay in your house tonight? After talking to him for a bit. And he turns around and he says, look, I'm really sorry, I'm homeless. And I'm like, okay, I've just asked a homeless man to stay in his house. I feel a lot of shame, about to walk off. But he turns around and he says, well, you know what? If you want, you can stay with me tonight. I'll feed you, I'll protect you, and I'll give you some clothes. And I was like blown away. Um, and I ended up staying on the streets with him. And it was, 
it was a life-changing moment for me uh, because he taught me some beautiful lessons. One of them, based on what you just said, actually, was that true wealth is not in our wallets, but it's in our hearts. That doesn't mean that don't make money. Make money. Good. Go for it. But if all you're doing is making money and you're not feeling connected to your divinity, to your humanity, to your love, to other people, then you're not really living, I would go so far as to say, because we've forgotten what it's like to be human. We've forgotten what it's like to be human. And sometimes when we go into nature, we feel it. Uh, now with what's going on, you know, in LA, we're basically locked down, but we're allowed to go for walks. We're allowed to go on a bike ride. And I was on a bike ride a couple of nights ago and there's no one around yet. By the fact there being no one around, you feel more connected to your environment. You feel more connected to the stars. You feel more connected to the ocean. And that is, I believe, being more connected to our humanity, to our presence, to our being, to our magnificence. Um, a wise man once said to me, look at that bird, Leon. And I looked at the bird and he said, what do you see? And I was like, a bird. And he's like, no. What I see is a bird actually being a bird. Look at yourself in the mirror. Are you being a human? And he was right. I wasn't. I was on my phone, you know, all this kind of craziness. And when you take all that away, you become what you are meant to be. I, I, that really resonates with me because my, my favorite place to be is the mountains. I, I do quite a lot of hiking and climbing and, and, and I quite like my own company. And I feel when I'm in the mountains, I feel really connected to nature. And when you, where I, because you told me you're in Venice Beach, I thought to myself, yeah, I wonder what it's like down there when there's not a soul around. And you, you must be able to hear the sea easier. And you, you haven't got the distractions of stuff that's going on around you so that you can focus. I ride my bike a lot as well, and, and, I, and I get connected when I'm on to the wind. And, and, and just the air brushing past my face, I, I feel it so much more than when I'm riding maybe with a group of people and other stuff like that. So, yeah, that, gosh, that's, that's, that's really special. So what, what, what does a guy like you, when you do the things you do, how do you come up with creative ideas to, to, to move forward as a, as a professional in, in the industry that you're in? What do you what do you do? Do you sit with other people and brainstorm? Because you're 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 doing this is where my green eyed monster comes from. So here's a jealousy. OK, you're, you're living my dream. Thank you very much. And uh, and and literally, I, I, I would I would give my right arm to be in your position. But from a creative point of view, how do you how do you go further into dealing with matters of the heart? How do you go further into dealing with matters of your DNA? which truly is this brand you've built around kindness. I mean, look, when we come, and it's not just me, I may be the face of it, but there are people behind me that are very wise, very kind, very hardworking, that enable me to do what I want to do. Um, I would say that we brainstorm, but we brainstorm ideas from a place of authenticity. Like we have lots of new ideas. We have a, some new shows, some new documentaries, and they all came from a place of my authentic wishes in life per se so maybe i'm having a struggle maybe like for example we just we just finished doing a documentary that is kind of like a documentary about an ex existential crisis and how faith can restore that now i came up with that idea because that's what was happening in my life yeah 
Um, yeah. Then we, we, yeah. Then we all came up with another idea whereby we did a travel show that you go out into the into into these into countries and you meet inspiring people and they get to answer the question, "Why am I here?" Meaning, "Why are you here? What's your purpose? What's your what's your what's your desire? What do you want to do with your life?" So it's all based on a lot of it is based on what's going on in here. You know, inside my heart, and then we create it for something that's universal. Because something that goes on in my heart may not necessarily go on in your heart, but if it's a universal thing, then it will. Like faith, even if you're not a religious person, you or not a spiritual person, faith is still something that flows through each and every one of us. Maybe we're not connected to it, but it's still there. With with what's going on now with this virus and you know potential recession that's happening does do you think this gives an opportunity for a lot of people that are in the position that you were once sitting in that office as a broker in an unhappy job not fe feeling fulfilled do you give do you think this gives like an amazing opportunity for a lot of people that might be losing their jobs a lot of people that might be you know sitting there wondering what it's all about to actually start reconnecting and start thinking about something that makes them truly happy 100 percent. and look i don't wish anyone to lose their jobs by any stretch of the imagination um but when we have a, a situation like this which really is an awakening from for many right it's a horrific situation for many too but it's it's an awakening awakening most of us have to go to work every day but now we're stuck at home and and I'll tell you a little story. When I was in, um, in, in 1999, or maybe it was 2000, I went to Nepal, 2001, and I spent two weeks away from the office just trekking in Nepal. And I became, I became connected to nature. I became connected to, like, my heart. I became connected to people. And that was a catalyst for what happened a few years later. You see, it kind of opened me up. And moments like this, where we're forced to go inside, opens us up. And who knows, maybe when this is over, it'll take six months a year for, for people to, to, to quit their jobs. Or maybe it'll take a month for them to start following their dreams. Or maybe they will never. But it's an opportunity. It's like, a, it's like an opening. And the door is opened. And it's our responsibility to walk through that door. I, in 2012, I was fired from a company that I had helped build for 16 years, and I was I, I agreed to go on gardening leave for a year. And that gardening leave, I thought when I was first given it, was going to be a wonderful opportunity for me to go and catch up with everybody I hadn't seen around the world over the years. And after two months, I realized that everybody was busy with their work, and I became very depressed, depressed to the point where I almost took my life. And so it was a really dark time for me. But and, and during that time, it was very dark. But I look back on it now and I see that it was actually I was meant to go on this journey because it then gave me the opportunity to pursue something that I loved and pursue something that I that, I, that mattered to me. And whilst the, the, the fortunes of the past may not be the same as the, as the fortunes of today, may be different in different ways, I feel far more connected with what I do as a human being uh, than I did before. And I think that when I when I watch your show, um, it makes me feel okay positive from that point of view but makes me want to do so much more help out so much more 
and give so much more. And there's, there's a group of girls, there's a lady I know called Maria. I'll just tell you quickly before we finish. Maria is a Portuguese lady, lives here in Dubai. She was a cleaner in Portugal. She was adopted when she was young. Um, she was a cleaner in Portugal. She moved to Switzerland as a cleaner, was hit by a car and, and went to hospital. While she was in hospital, she was there illegally because Switzerland wasn't part of the EU back then, all that kind of stuff. And so they said, we'll fix you, but you've got to leave as soon as you're fixed. She then went to London, worked as a cleaner. And as she's Portuguese, she said, I'll be the Ronaldo of cleaners. <laughs> so I just thought that was lovely. She got a job as cabin crew with Emirates, and that was her dream job. She moved here. One of her first flights was to Bangladesh, to Dakar, to the slums. She was there for two days, and she saw how these kids lived their life. She flew back to Dubai, sold all of her possessions, went back to Dakar and, and, and supported in ways she, she could. And then she said to herself, I need to help. And so she Googled how to raise money for charity. And the first thing that came up on Google was to climb Everest. She'd never climbed anything. She'd never done any sports in her life. But she was so compelled to help that she became the first Portuguese lady to climb Everest. She climbed Everest and she got some sponsorship. Since she did that, she's done the rest of the seven summits around the world. She's been to the North Pole, to the South Pole. She's attempted to swim the English Channel. She did eight Ironmans in eight weeks in eight countries. She's got eight Guinness World Records. And I've never met a person with more purpose on this planet than I've ever seen in my life. Her purpose is like, it is it's indestructible. She has since taken 600 children from the slums of Bangladesh and got them all internationally educated overseas, including some into the top Ivy League schools in the United States. That woman has purpose and she's so connected to what she's trying to achieve. And I got a chance to spend some time with the girls um, some time ago. And she said that we're going to bring a few of them here. Would you like to meet them? And they came to Dubai. I said, yes, let's meet at the shopping mall. I'll take them for an ice cream. She said, Spencer, they've never had ice cream. I was like, whoa. So I met them and they were adorable between the age of seven and 12. And we took them to the fun fair. And then I said, look, look, what do they need? Let me get them what they need. I'll go to the supermarket. She said, uh, underwear, clothes, shoes, a hairbrush, a toothbrush, anything, Spencer, you can do. And I was so moved, so deeply moved by these kids and what, what, what the life that they'd lived and the work that Maria had done that it just compelled me to want to be involved. And there's now there's there's nothing that, that I, I can put before that. There's nothing more important than that. Nothing more. Nothing matters more than that. And so all of a sudden, all of those things that seemed important seem no longer important. And this is the priority. And I think that, 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 that your message on a, on a scale like that almost takes my example of Maria and the girls and you, you put it into different parts of the world and different people along the way. You're truly a very special person, genuinely are. You're a, you're a very, very special person. And I'm really, really delighted to have the chance to sit and share a few minutes with you and talk to you about what you've done. Get one, one last piece of advice maybe you can share with everyone. Look, people are going through struggles right this minute. They are going through struggles. And, and, and as I said earlier, some people are going to lose their jobs. What, what can people practically do? Okay, what can they do? They're probably going to be at home for the next three or four weeks. What can they practically do to try and lean into something of, of service, of, of value, of, of, of the heart, like you say? What practical steps do you think they can take, mate? Well, one thing I will tell them is, yes, this is a terrible time for many, pretty much all of us, right? Some more than others. 
But let's not forget people like Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years in a prison cell. Let's not forget the people who survived the Blitz. Yeah, These people suffered every day for years and years and years, and they found their way through it. So this too shall pass. What I will tell people to do on a practical level, because even though we're stuck in our houses, we have the internet, we have the television, we have phones, so we're still running around like nut jobs, right? I would tell them to spend half an hour a day sitting on their couch, looking out of the window with no phone, with no television, with nothing. Just look at nature for half an hour a day. And I guarantee it, I guarantee that in that half an hour, they will be touched by nature. They will be touched by divinity. They will be touched by their own humanity. Half an hour, turn your phone off, turn your TV off, turn the internet off. And I promise you, if you do that every day for this crisis, you will come out of this crisis as a, as a better human being, more connected than you were when you more connected than you were when you came into the crisis. Leon, I can't thank you enough. What a lovely thing to end on. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As the people out there, there's people that are watching this live. They, if they want to get in touch with, if they want to follow you, how do they go about it? I think you've got an Instagram handle called the. Is it the Kindness Guy? Uh, yeah, the Instagram and Facebook is at the Kindness Guy. Okay, and yeah, then obviously people in. can. Sorry, mate. Yeah, people can. Yeah, people can go on Netflix and look at the Kindness Diaries. Um, and any message I receive on, on Instagram, I will reply to personally. You said you said the other day on Instagram that if anybody's got questions, people are feeling lonely, you said that you, you'd respond to them no, no matter what. 100%. Every single message I receive, I reply to. You're a gentleman. And then in terms of getting hold of a copy of that awesome book that you wrote, is it on Amazon? Y yeah, it's actually here. It's um, Go Be Kind, and you can buy it on Amazon. Excellent stuff. Go be kind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you got it there. Leon, yeah. Logothetis, star of The Kindness Diaries. You, you are a star. And thank you so much for all you do. We'll see you again very soon. Thank you very much. Well, there we go. The incredible Leon Logothetis, the TV star from The Kindness Diaries, the Netflix special. Do yourself a favor, get out and watch it. What a guy, though. He's so authentic. He's so sincere. He's so fantastic. I can't tell you how delightful it was talking to him. Do me a big, big favor, please. Okay, if you listen to this on iTunes and the podcast version of iTunes, do me a favor. Literally, give me a five-star rating. It would mean the world if you did. Okay, on other podcast apps that you use, I'd appreciate it if you'd go and leave me some comments. Okay, I want more people to see this and hear this show. And the more people that get a chance to hear it, the more people that will be inspired, the more people that will take benefit. It's my duty to do that, and I want you to help me along the way. Right, whatever you do, make sure that you're being kind.